Hello everybody, this is Emperor Nuro and his apocryphal marketing tales. Mind the road, mind your coffee, and let's get it on. For muddy roads and cobbled streets, rickety bang, rambled the old shay to the village store. Grandpa with the reins, the boys on back. We were on our way home again. No, it's not an opening line of a pretentious Gilded Age novel penned by a bored aristocrat in a Fular Brooks Brothers tie lamenting a Miss Soiree over a bottle of fine Chardonnay. But some other set of brothers was indeed involved. It was arguably the nicest and most exquisitely worded ad, one from 1916, by America's first ever cough drop producer. The Smith Brothers. Rough? Angry? Mad? Too bad and foolish. It's a blunder. Please protect your voice. Be kind. Keep your mouth shut. Behave. These are just a handful of the headlines the unapologetic Smith Company resorted to over the decades of its bold market shenanigans. Before the brothers took over the firm, the company started out as an ice cream parlor and reportedly a candy shop in Poughkeepsie, New York, in the late 1840s. To be honest, launching an ice cream shop in a locality known for its particularly rugged winters due to its proximity to the Hudson River doesn't strike me as a cool idea. Cool in the original sense, maybe, but not a lucrative one, for sure. But I digress. Anyway, the former Scottish immigrant had kept the place running for five odd years, drawing in a steady crowd of Sunday-seeking regulars before one day a person who changed his life forever swung by. A peddler aptly named Sly Hawkins popped in to flog some obscure pharmaceutical candies to ice cream lovers, a straightforward yet good move. After scarfing down a pair of cones, someone may soon definitely need a cure for a sore throat. <coughs> and here it is. Back in the day, the practice of itinerant salespeople dropping into restaurants and pitching some flotsam and jetsam to the diners was not uncommon, as the stingy owners hardly bothered to hire broad-shouldered, shaven-headed goons in black suits to aid a sixth intrusive peddlers out of their eateries. And while the wolves of whatever the name street may have been annoying to the diners and detract from the gobbling experience, for Jacob Smith, that non-interference policy paid off royally. He took an instant interest in Hawkins' nostrums and eventually snatched. No, not a handful of them, a formula. The peddler sold the recipe for chump change. Smith dubbed the lozenges cough drops and had his cooks prepare them right in the ice cream parlor's kitchen. The product became an instant hit. With it, the Smiths began to remedy both millions of American throats and their family-owned business. But no sooner had the sensational cough drop gotten off to a flying start, the brothers' wings could have been clipped multiple times. 
first as the original or black medicated hard candy variety was sold by weight from a chemist's counter's glass jar, they had to address the problem of unscrupulous pharmacists. Though history books are hazy about the root of the problem, my guess is while the pharmacists would often switch the Smith brothers' toothsome goodness with cheap dummies to hoodwink undiscerning customers. That's where the brothers came up with an out-of-the-box, well, technically quite the opposite, in-the-box solution. They quite literally began packaging their lozenges in boxes with the company's name stamped on them. Phew, problem solved, right? Well, not quite, it turned out. Once they cleared the first obstacle on their way to becoming throw-drop tycoons, another pain in the butt was quick to turn up for their legacy-obsessed familial duo. Just as these days, the business became pastured with multiple knockoffs and copycats impersonating the Smiths, which wasn't a difficult trick to pull off, if you think about it. After all, America's most popular name wasn't the one instantly recognizable, and the boxes could be easily forged by substituting a letter or two. That's how the Smiths embarked on a years-long legal battle to have their brand trademarked. In 1877, the brothers could finally high-five each other and let out a sweet sigh of relief. The new package featured the portrait shots of both bearded brothers, William on the left with an Abe Lincoln-style beard, and the right-hand side Andrew sporting ZZ Top's Billy Gibbons beard. But smooth sailing to the unimpeachable cough-drop greatness would soon take another hit. Knock-knock. Who's there? Andrew Ludens, that's who. In 1879, a producer named Ludens stormed onto the scene, and right off the bat, they would be offering their drops to railroad workers in what was a vivid example of experiential guerrilla marketing, a whole century before the term was coined, mind you. Their choice of a target audience was no happenstance either. I can't stress enough the importance of vibing with your target audience. Stop casting the widest of nets. That's sloppy work. Again and again, over half of the ads in North America and Western Europe ignorantly miss their audience. But isn't it blissful and nonchalant ignorance after all? In 2022, Nielsen reports a 10% drop in black viewers' likelihood to buy from brands that specifically claim they're championing inclusivity and diversity in what is a spectacularly egregious multi-million dollar clunker of a marketing campaign. Isn't that the definition of irony? When all you do is regurgitate a limited bunch of buzzwords and platitudes, while flashing the achievements of the dental industry, busting your chops pretending you're just like your customers when you're not, your advertising sucks, no matter your provenance or Fortune 500 rank. Most companies, indeed, rely solely on the retention of already addicted customers, rather than the acquisition of new ones. 
They're happy with the big bucks they have and don't feel challenged a little bit. So if you're listening to this and you're out to make a statement in whatever industry it is you're engaged in, be authentic, be feisty, study your audience, and don't pretend you're somebody else. Don't learn from those who rely on purchase inertia and people's reluctance to try new products and switch allegiances. Challenge your audience instead to a bold decision if your product is worth its salt or sugar, maybe. Let's shift our focus from those who suck to a company to which sucking is quite literally the desired customer experience. Up there with hitting it off with your audience is picking the right crowd or demographic to endorse your product through ads. Harness that mighty power of astroturfing. If the advertisers referring to your product are paid or just purported to embrace it, or buzz marketing in case they really like what you sell. Like I've said, railroad workers in the Ludens example were no accident and no joke. To put it in the perspective, railroad workers work into major league TikTokers these days and certainly incomparably more popular than, say, the nurses resurrecting millions from a deadly pandemic, say, COVID. But anyway, before the advent of automobiles in the 1890s, let alone regular commercial aviation in the 1920s, trains were the fastest means of transit. And before the advent of Winton semi-trucks in 1899, rail tracks crisscrossing the United States were the principal transport arteries connecting businesses with their customers. And so when a railroad worker thumbs up your stuff, it's one big testimonial. I dare say if there had been collectible cards back in the day, Railroad workers would have been the ones Panini would have been looking at. Plus, railroad workers were the ones to log most of their working hours outdoors. Hence the higher incidence of common cold. Hence the higher demand for lozenges as a throat soother. And hence the heightened interest in them from the likes of Ludens and the Smith brothers. If they say yes to your medicated yumminess, it really means a lot. Imagine Joshua Chaptegay, a Ugandan native and the reigning Olympic champion in the 5,000 meters, saying your sneaker kills it. Can you even dream of a better endorsement? So railroad workers it is. Notably, the Smith brothers would reference them too in many an ad of theirs. But that's one thing. When Ludens resorted to experiential guerrilla marketing with their giveaways among the railroad guys, the Smiths answered with a barrage of crass, in-your-face marketing messaging, a different shade of guerrilla marketing, and what would essentially later be dubbed shockvertising. 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 Indeed, the tone they pegged for their adverts was abrasive, to say the least. Like I've said at the outset of this episode, those lines about the old Shay and Rickety Bang were perhaps the sweetest the brothers ever managed, except their company's 20th century flavor editions, of course. That 1916 ad closes with, Your grandpa knows us. Again, a simple yet elegant and touching example of astroturfing 
on top of the use of deep metaphors advocated by Harvard's Jerry Zaltman, and that rapport-building pseudo-familiarity. Even though I do see straight through these marketing ruses, this one still strikes a chord with me. On the left, they depicted a dingy horse-driven carriage and a brand new car, connecting the two, you guessed it, with a pack of their drops, emphasizing their eventful history as a brand. But that was largely it for the Smith Brothers' messaging tactfulness. Then came the real heavy stuff. During World War I, one of the brothers' ads cited, quote, war-reduced output, end of quote, and urged customers to buy only as many as they needed. Needless to say, the effect was very much the opposite. Remember our previous episode with extensive coverage of the Shustov's buzz marketing antics? Same thing here. Tapping into the perceived scarcity effect triggering our panic-stricken brain to buy much more than we really need. Another World War I poster of theirs even told a story of an American soldier coughing and betraying his position to the German army. Whether true or not, the next line prompted the amygdala-triggered women to pack more boxes of their lozenges into frontline comfort kits shipped to soldiers across the pond, warning the Americans of a rainy French climate and cold and wet trenches. In both world wars, the company implored their buyers not to take issue with them for the shortages in cough drop availability, but instead to be, quote, mad and angry at the enemy, blame it on Adolf and the Axis, promising to bump up the production once victory was clinched. Why would their products be a must for World War II combatants? A sugar-coated hard candy could hardly patch up a gaping hole in the flesh, could it? But it was a sly motivational ploy to get more people engaged in the war effort, wouldn't you say? Who in their right mind would risk their life for more boxes of lifesavers? But while it didn't work in terms of ramping up the volunteer numbers, it certainly blasted the Smiths' brand exposure through the roof. Besides, during the war, the Lozenger producers' ads demanded that people keep their mouths shut because an open mouth could spread two nasty things, germs and rumors. At this point, I'm not sure if people were schmoozing more about the military company's war tactics or the candy company's outrageous shock tactics Better still, the Smiths openly bragged about their brand surviving five bloody wars with their trademark sign-off, soothingly yours. Once the war was over, the enemy was no longer on the battlefield. The Smiths proclaimed that coffers were public enemy number one. They reviled coughing in public as, quote, offensive misbehavior, 
to a point where a magazine cartoon showed a coughing lady being condemned and catcalled by the passers-by, one of them asking her if her mother ever told her of the Smith brothers' lozenges. In the interbellum, a period between the two world wars, the company poked dubious fun at almost anyone their marketers could think of and reach. Coffin girls were proclaimed ugly, while their male sweetheart counterparts, called Romeos in the ad's headline, were ridiculed for the awkwardness they caused when a makeout sash was interrupted by booming cough. Sports fans were encouraged to yell their heads off after preemptively munching on a handful of Smiths. Smokers were advised to regularly indulge in the medicated candy too. The company made heavy use of all sorts of attention grabbers, like leading off their posters with a no-no followed by exclamatory remarks, only announcing that vitamin A and the drops came for free. Along with a range of marketing stunts, the Smiths exploited the linguistic potential of English to the full. Since the ads were printed in black and white, when the new menthol flavor was unveiled in the 1920s, they bothered to point out that it came in an orange box. Think of the five cents proposition I'm advocating in my YouTube videos. Print media eagerly ran the Smith's flamboyant ads at a time when Alexander Fleming discovered the actual lifesaver, penicillin, the best-selling book lists were topped by The Great Gatsby and not by smiling motivators in expensive suits. And both The New Yorker and The New York Times published respectable journalism. In the second half of the 20th century and the early 21st century, the brand's recognizable quirky style of advertising petered out, as the company was twice taken over by faceless, lifeless corporations, who value playing on the safe and debilitatingly insipid side and pandering to customers over the acerbic authenticity and audacious creativity that, yes, can sometimes cause a controversial plop stirring a big splash. They chose not to go against the grain anymore, and the big flashy suck-on-a-daily posters gave way to a timid ask of trying a mouthful. Why would I even try a mouthful in one go? Nonsense. And something else. In a 2014 Chicago Tribune article, the Smiths announced an imminent comeback while touting the wellness benefits of their herbal drops. Nine years on, I'm still underwhelmed by their bleak white plastic bags. If there's one thing about them that's worth borrowing your ears for a couple more seconds, is that one of their three currently available flavors is warm apple pie. Notice apple pie, but a warm apple pie. See the difference? Still using the five cents proposition approach, if it's a consolation. 
Speaking of the taste, the original one, according to my research, was likely anise and licorice, which would explain the saturated black color. But what about their 19th century nemesis, Ludens? Like I said last time, collabs are all the rage. <laughs> they did one with Supreme. What can I say to this other than wish them a fair wind? Just three letters, perhaps. LOL. So what's the big takeaway? I almost hear you say that in a world of cancel culture, rampant censorship, deplatforming, and personal sensibilities over common sense, in a world where science is considered a matter of opinion and not facts and evidence, grandpa sounds sexist, and the word American is a slur. And this stuffy world, it would be insane, which is also a forbidden world now. To market your products along the lines of the Smith brothers, the way they extensively did it. You don't want to lose your business to a disgruntled Twitter mob. A salient deficit in the sense of humor is richly compensated by gargantuan self-righteousness and contagiously poor taste. But wait, is this the kind of audience you're targeting? The ones to whom everything, including convictions, seems to be a fleeting fad? If not, you definitely want to try out some of the shockvertising and guerrilla marketing, or I'd add my spin to it, neuro-guerrilla marketing tactics, and infuse your ads and campaigns with some vigor and zest. And even if your audience does include some trendy bandwagoners, why not jump at the opportunity to show them that a squirt, just a squirt, of originality sometimes adds life to life? After all, there are successful, if under-publicized, stories of shockvertising working a treat from the Nevermind bar using picky customers' complaints and insulting comments in their ads to an edgy German fitness club going, tired of being fat and ugly? Just be ugly. Anyway, as my voice is cracking to a squeaky door raspiness and I'm attending a theatrical play tonight, being a public enemy is definitely on my today's wish list, so I better chew on this Honey Lemon Throw Drop. Thanks for listening. I'm Roman, also known as Emperor Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, both here and on YouTube. I'm a behavioral researcher, a people watcher, and a marketing strategist. I'll be sharing practical stories like these from the world of unconventional advertising and useful behavioral insights in my weekly podcast. And by the way, the music is composed by a good friend of our podcast, Serge, who absolutely loves all things neuro and viscerally hates all things marketing. Hope your brain is having a snazzy week.